Growing up in southern Indiana, I remember gathering around my grandparents' table at mealtime. Now, it didn't matter if it was a holiday meal or just an everyday, ordinary meal. It was always a special time. And part of the reason for that was I loved to hear my grandfather pray. But I remember the day he looked at me and said, Tommy, will you return thanks? And so I prayed. I got to thinking about that the other day. Return thanks. I haven't heard that expression used in so long. It's a good expression, return thanks. I thought, well, maybe it's one of those old generational kinds of terms. It's just kind of faded out of use. And so I did some research, and according to the Oxford Dictionary, it's a British phrase, which means to express thanks, especially at prayer at mealtime. Obviously, the phrase's heritage is, is quite old. It came to us from our heartland, our ancient homeland, our forefathers, uh, and I never gave it much thought about growing up, but it is a good description of what we do when we pray. Return thanks. For all of God's blessings, his gifts, his kindnesses, his compassions, we should return to him with a thankful heart. Now, I don't doubt the Oxford Dictionary's tied to British culture, but I wonder if the expression didn't actually grow out of a, a poignant story in the earthly ministry of our Lord as recorded in the Gospel of Luke. On this occasion, Jesus and his disciples are on the border of Samaria and Galilee, and they're going through the villages, and they're on their way to another village when they are approached by ten lepers. Now, in that day and time, leprosy was a dreaded disease, and these folks would not have been allowed inside the village. They would have been sequestered in their own colonies, leper colonies, because it was a highly contagious disease. As a matter of fact, we don't find in Scripture anybody being cleansed of leprosy, healed of leprosy, without the intervention of God. And here come these ten lepers, and they approach Jesus, and they say, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And Jesus said, go show yourselves to the priest. And they went, and as they were going, they looked down, and their bodies were free of the leprosy. Now, leprosy is one of those diseases that was dreaded because it separated you from everything that you love. Leprosy was dreaded because it was a disease that ate away at your body. It numbed your body. <clears throat> and so it was a slow, painful, torturous kind of death. Leprosy was always symbolic of sin. Not that the person who had leprosy was somehow extra sinful. It was the fact that what leprosy does to the body, sin does to the soul. It eats away at our soul. It numbs our soul. It separates us from the one that loves us so much. And so leprosy was this dreaded disease. And it's the one disease in the Bible, the only, the only disease I can find in the Bible, of which you were not healed, you were cleansed. Now, you, you were healed, but that's not the terminology you used. It, you were cleansed. And the, the reason for that was, is, is because you aren't healed of sin, you are cleansed of sin. So these men are on their way to show themselves to the priest. They look down and they find that their bodies are now whole and well and strong. And the nine of them go on to find the priest. And one turns back, by the way, a Samaritan, 
which would have been a surprise to the Jews who were reading this story. A Samaritan turns back, finds Jesus, and this is what Jesus says in Luke 17, verses 17 and 18. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God? Was no one found to return thanks to God except this foreigner? Why are we so thoughtless about returning thanks? Here's something else I find interesting. The etymological dictionary tells us that the word thank is phonetically related to the word think. In other words, our ability to express thanks evolves from our ability to think. If you don't stop to think, you probably won't stop to say thanks. A farmer in the city on business one day stopped by a local diner to have a, a, a blue plate special lunch and he's sitting there at the counter and as the lunch is served to him, he takes off his farm cap, sets it down, bows his head and prays and a couple boys in a booth sitting behind the counter uh, started giggling and when the farmer finished his prayer, they said, hey pops, does everybody down on the farm pray before they eat? And the farmer turned and smiled and said, everybody but the pigs boys, everybody but the pigs. We are no better than pigs who do not express thanks for all of their food when we, with all of God's wonderful gifts to us, do not express our gratitude. Take time and think. Stop and think, and you'll be amazed at how much you have for which to return thanks. David, King David, was great about expressing thanks, about writing about his praise of God. Of the 150 Psalms in the Old Testament, so many of them are resplendent with words of thanks and gratitude and praise. Now you heard Andy read it earlier at the offering time, but I wanna to read to you Psalm 100 again. He read it out of the King James. I'm gonna read it out of the New International Version. Listen to the power of these words of King David. Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues throughout all generations. Stop and think. Thanks is an action word. Did you notice all the verbs in this text that apply to our attitude of thankfulness? Shout, worship, come, know, enter, give, and praise. And notice how these actions are described. It is with joy that we shout, gladness that we worship, happy songs that we come. As the sheep know their shepherd, so we know the voice of the Lord. It is with thankfulness that we enter. It is with thankfulness that we give. It is with thankfulness that we praise. And notice how the Lord is described. He is God and he is good. He made us. He keeps us. He sustains us. He is deserving of our thanks and praise. And his love and his faithfulness are everlasting. So yes, give thanks Return thanks for the good things.
Several years ago, when our, when our daughters were younger, we had a wonderful one day in Plymouth, Massachusetts. We were on a, a brief vacation, and we got to spend the whole day there. It, it stands out in my mind as one of those special memories that we shared as a family. And we just, we just went all over the place seeing all the historic sites of Plymouth. And where better to learn more about pilgrims and how our country started than in the place where the pilgrims landed, at Plymouth, Massachusetts. And so while we were there, I learned some things. What I learned, first of all, was it's easy to say thanks in the good times. When things are good, gratitude comes easy. But gratitude and thankfulness that grows out of deep hurt and great loss and difficulty is the deepest kind of gratitude possible. Do you realize that of the 102 pilgrims that sailed from England, only 53 survived that first winter to celebrate the first harvest in Plymouth Colony? The pilgrims dug seven times more graves for the dead than they built living quarters for the living. Nearly 50 graves dotted the hillside as a reminder of the tragic loss, so it is no surprise that when they came to the first harvest, many of the original pilgrims said, we ought to have a day of fasting and prayer. But the other part of the group said, no, God has brought us through the winter. He's given us a great harvest. This should be a day of celebration. And so that voice won out. And so in September of 1621, they had a three-day feast that they called harvest dinner. And they celebrated in the inspired hope of what they had come through and what was ahead and they celebrated with thanksgiving before God. Now I had a delightful conversation with the librarian and historian at Plymouth Plantation. I mean after all if you're going to learn what's really happened uh, at Thanksgiving that would be the place to turn. And, and so I, let me share with you a couple things about what really happened on that first Thanksgiving. I've already mentioned it happened in September not November. It was never repeated that we know of. They did one harvest dinner, three days, but they never celebrated it again like that. Only four married women survived that first winter, and they cooked for the entire group. Some traditions never change throughout history. <laughs> Chief Massasoit and 90 warriors, no women, just 90 warriors arrived for the feast. Now, there is no record of whether or not they had actually been invited or not, but they showed up, and they were there for the three days, and they were fed. So a total of 145 people ate for three days, and they dined on venison, wild fowl, eel, shellfish, lobster, corn, dried fruit, and probably turkey. Cranberry sauce and pumpkin pie were absent from that first Thanksgiving. Knives, spoons, and shells were their eating utensils. Now from that humble start in the small Plymouth colony in 1621, the custom grew sort of sporadically at different parts of the country and at different times of our history. In the midst of the American Revolution in 1777, over 150 years later, the Continental Congress proclaimed a national day of Thanksgiving to celebrate the victory at the Battle of Saratoga. Twelve years later, George Washington, then president, proclaimed another national day of thanksgiving in honor of the ratification of the Constitution. And he requested then that Congress make it a national day. And Congress uh, decided not to do that. They denied doing that. They, 
It would be another 100 years and in the midst of a bloody civil war before President Abraham Lincoln proclaimed the last Thursday of November Thanksgiving. The year was 1863. Now, I found this to be interesting. According to records, football was associated with Thanksgiving Day sometime in the 1880s. The first recorded football and Thanksgiving Day goes back to the 1880s. The pilgrims were not officially associated with the celebration of Thanksgiving until the 1890s. So football beats out the pilgrims by 10 years from an official standpoint. Now we know it all goes back to what they did in 1621, but officially it didn't come until later. And then the librarian asked me a question that I couldn't answer. She said, she knew I was a minister. I told her I was going to use this sometime in a, in a sermon. And she said to me, when did people stop going to church on Thanksgiving? And I, I didn't know. I still don't really have an answer for that one. I know growing up in my life, there were no church services on Thanksgiving. But what an appropriate time to come before God with thankful hearts. After all, he's the one who gives us good gifts and he's the one that sustains us through the tough times. Thanksgiving really is about him. Without him, Thanksgiving seems empty, doesn't it? First Chronicles 16:8 says, "Give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known among the nations what he has done." Psalm 95 verse 2 says, "Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song." It boils down to this, folks. The desire to return thanks comes from loving God, not just liking his gifts. When we return thanks, Genuinely, we recognize God as the provider, the protector, and the prince of peace in our lives. Because you see, if you just like his gifts, you'll only be thankful during the good times. But if you fall in love with the Father, you'll be thankful at all times. And that's what Thanksgiving is all about. And, and why do we thank God? Well, have you ever stopped to think everything he's done to make our life so enjoyable? First of all, he gives us life. That, in enough, that, that in, is enough right there that we should be giving him thanks. But look around you. What do you see in all of his creation? We have a small woods behind our house, and I love the trees that are there. Spring, summer, fall, and winter. They are beautiful in all of their seasons, and they point their grandeur to God. We just come in off of this beautiful fall season that we've celebrated here. The leaves are finally just about all down off of the trees. Have you ever stopped to think about the fact that God did not have to add color, that all of the leaves could have simply turned brown when they died and fallen to the ground? But no, God gives us this palette of colors that fills the hillsides with the dying of the leaves to make it one of the most beautiful seasons of the year. He didn't have to give each bird a different song, but he did. He didn't have to have a dog love us with a wagging tail or make a baby smile and laughter so adorable that you can't help but smile and laugh at the same time or on a clear night create a majestic canopy with sparkling stars above the sky or to blanket the earth in the wintertime with a covering of snow that reminds us that the Bible says that our sins will be washed whiter than snow. God did not owe us life or beauty or joy. He didn't have to make us relational. 
and give us families and friends. He didn't, he need, didn't need to provide us with so many noble ways to enjoy work and to get satisfaction out of our work or to make learning new things so exciting and fun. God gave us a rich, full life because that's the nature of God and he wanted us to enjoy it and for that we ought to return thanks. At the height of his career, it is said that every word that author Rudyard Kipling wrote earned him 25 shillings. In our English currency, that would be about $2. Now, you got to remember, that's 100 years ago. $2 for every word he wrote. That, that's pretty impressive. On hearing this, a group of British college students got together and wrote him a letter which said, We understand that every word you write is worth 25 shillings. Enclosed is 25 shillings. Send us your best word. A few days later, they got a one-word telegram that simply said, Thanks. <laughs> it is one of the best words. You realize that, don't you? Even psychology bears that out. Research tells us that there are two emotions, two attitudes that most affect the psychological condition of a human being. The most negative attitude is that of revenge. The most positive attitude is that of thankfulness. You know what I'm talking about. When you're around people that are bitter and vengeful, you don't want to be around them. But to be around somebody who is filled with thankfulness, they are a joy. God has called us to give thanks because it is a wonderful attitude and spirit. And if all of that wasn't enough, God also gave us forgiveness through Jesus Christ so that we might have life everlasting. No wonder Paul just seems to explode in 2 Corinthians 9.15 with the words, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Or as the Living Translation puts it, thank God for this gift to wonderful for words. Little Joe and his family were eating Thanksgiving dinner at, at Grandma's house and everybody was seated around the table they're waiting for the dinner to start and little Joe just reached over with his fork and forked a piece of turkey, put it on his plate and took a bite and his mother scolded him and said, Joe, you gotta wait until we pray. I don't need to, Joe said. Of course you do, his mother said. We always pray before we eat at home. And Joe said, we're at grandma's house. She knows how to cook. Now, I think little Joe misunderstood the whole point about Thanksgiving to begin with and maybe the purpose of prayer, but I do love this transparency about kids, don't you? Uh, I, I love their honesty. I love their trust. I, I think we need to learn something about being thankful, about living life from children. After all, Jesus said, unless you become as a little child, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And I think he meant by that, unless you learn how to trust me like a child trusts his or her parents, you, you aren't there yet in this walk of faith. By the way, maybe it's because of just growing older. Maybe it's because in the last few years I've become a grandfather. But regardless of what it is, the, the, the condition, the future, the spiritual growth of our children here has become a heavier weight on my mind. I, I desperately want our church to make children and young people and young adults our priority. Um, remember our buckets? You know, we got three buckets now that we paid off the building. The three buckets are, are simply these. There is a bucket that reaches out 
beyond ourselves into the global arena. There's a bucket that reaches into our community, and there is a bucket that is for right here at home. I, I love the fact of what we've been doing around the globe to help children. I mean, children of the future. Folks, I, I got to tell you something. I, I, nobody's going to take my faith away from me. I hope that you're at a point where people aren't going to take your faith away from you. But our kids aren't there yet. Our youth aren't there yet. Some of our young adults aren't there yet. And I want the church for years to come to be healthy and strong. When we're gone, I want the church to be stronger than it is now, healthier than it is now for future generations to come to know this God who has loved us ever so much. Now, as I look to the future, I think there's some terrific things going on. And you know about some of these already because you've seen them in some of our Yes to Love stories. But let me just remind you, these are a handful. I can't tell them all. Uh, we, we provided a girls' dorm edition in Burma for young ladies. We've been doing cleft palate surgeries in India. We've been providing education, healthcare, nutrition, and spiritual guidance, most importantly, in the slums of Nairobi, Kenya. We support Rafa House, who is rescuing young girls from the slave trade industry. We are sending scores of gift boxes and messages of faith to the gypsy children of Romania. Our team will be leaving in the next couple of weeks and they're taking with them and they will distribute these boxes and be teaching at that day and time. We are helping children see clearly and eat healthily through His Eyes mission in Honduras. Felipe was here just a couple of weeks ago. They're doing a great job. We're ministering to 350 children through the Agua Viva Children's Home in Guatemala and so much more. When you give, part of that goes to this global outreach outreach and it is changing the lives of children. Locally, we participate in providing backpacks at the beginning of the school year. We are providing healthy snacks for some of our schools who are lacking those right now. From Hilltop Camp to Youth for Christ, we are reaching out into this community. And we have a team right now that's been working on some ideas we're going to tell you more about at the beginning of the year where we can reach out into this community and do some great things. We've been talking to people. What, what do the kids need? What do the children need? And we got some great ideas. Not, not things that will necessitate a lot of money, but things that will require of us a gift of time. And I think, uh, I think our time is our best gift. It may be coming alongside of a child to be a mentor. It may be coming uh, a helper with a child. It, it, we'll tell you more about it. I just want you to know that that middle bucket, we've got some plans and some goals and some dreams of where we're headed with that. And I think it's exciting as we come into the new year. And right here at home, we have some big needs as well. Right here on our site. Uh, and if you will allow me, I would like to dream out loud with you for a few minutes. Now, I told you a few weeks ago, you know, when we went through this whole process with the screens that this had been on our, our plan list uh, for the last 15 years, and, and we finally got it done because of being out of debt and how much better this all is. Well, there are a lot of things like that scattered throughout our facility here that have been waiting till we got to a point where we could do some things that we haven't been able to do. Uh, you know, when you live in a house, they say 10 years is about the time frame when everything needs a change. Okay, you move into a house, everything's nice and fresh and clean and new. And about 10 years later, carpet needs to go, paint needs to go, appliances are beginning to break down. Well, we've been in this original facility back here coming into 23 years. And we've not done a lot with it. And there are some things with regard to our children and our youth that are weighing heavy on my heart. Okay, for one thing, we really need to make our building a lot safer. 
for our children downstairs. Uh, when we built the building, why, we, we made it as accessible as we possibly could because we were serving every kind of situation out of this building. Now, we, wanna, we need to tighten down to make our children's area safer downstairs to protect our kids. Plus, we really need a, a new entrance out back. Now, I don't know how often you get downstairs, all right? But uh, several years ago, we cobbled together a, um, well, a little bit of a, of a tunnel that connects the original building and the educational building in the back. Now, you see a picture there on the uh, screen. Oh, there's a, there's a great picture of door 13 and 14. This little area right here, uh, it, it, the, the floor is uneven. It, it's not the same. There is no heat. There is no air conditioning in it. It's kind of a miserable thing. It serves the purpose of keeping people dry, and that's about it. What we need is to be able to make the building safe and to expand that. And so we have this idea of being able to build a connector in that area of the building that will reach out into the parking lot. Do we have a couple more of those pictures? Uh, yeah, there we go. That it would connect the two buildings. This is an artist rendering. There'd be a, 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 a canopy that would come out over it. And on the inside, there would be a central staircase uh, that would come down from the upper level. What this connector would do is it would make a connection with the upstairs level and the downstairs level from both levels, and it would eliminate the stair stairwell that's in this side and the stairwell that's over there at door 20 and help keep our kids very safe downstairs by making just a point or two of entry where they would come in. And I think that is a great idea. It would be a huge blessing not only to our children's ministry, our preschool, our kindergarten, and families who park in that area, it's just a long overdue thing that needs to be done and done right. Again, we did what we could at the time. Now's the time to do that. And while we're exploring, let me, let me just keep on dreaming, all right, uh, with you for a few minutes. I, I just want you to know where my heart is in all of this. I'm concerned about our youth as well. They, they are pretty cramped for space. And so one of our ideas is to take our current garage building, which is, sits right outside of door five over there, real close to our facility, converting it into a youth building for middle school and high school, and then building a garage farther on the west end of the back parking lot. That's the most inexpensive building that we can do because we're not we're trying to utilize what we have and make the best use of it and 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 freshen it up and make it uh where it needs to be for the years to come and so that would be a plan and then i don't know if you noticed it after this service after the 9 30 service our foyer is usually just packed to the gills with people talking i love it it's great out there. I, I, I'm thrilled to death that people in small groups get together where they don't see each other very, and they like to spend time talking. The problem is some people leave because it's too crowded. We need more foyer space. What we could do is once the youth move out, we could move one of the nurseries to the other side and expand the foyer space. There's just all kinds of great things we can do and it's time to get them done. So I, I'm just dreaming out loud with you because we're working on some plans down the road. And uh, after the first of the year, you're going to hear us talk a little bit more about we're going to need to raise some funds to do this. Now, some have given to the building fund over the years because that's what people like to do. They like to give gifts to the building fund. We don't have enough yet to do the connector, so we'll talk about that. But if you've been drowsy, okay, wake up for just a second. You need to hear this next part real clearly, okay? We are not going into debt to do this. Because I know some of you out there are saying, I knew it, I knew it. The minute we paid off the debt, we're going right back into debt. Hear me, we're not going in debt. We're not going into debt. We're not going into debt, okay? So if somebody says, if somebody says, you know they're borrowing money to do that, you just tell them, no, that's not the case. You got it straight from the horse's mouth. So we're, we're looking at 
trying to expand, do the things we need to do, and doing it the best of our ability, and asking all of us to pitch in and, and make it happen. I, I think these are exciting times, and I'm really convinced that what we do to help our kids for the future helps the church, and is what the Heavenly Father would want us to do. Because you see, isn't that like him? I mean, when you stop and think about us, we are his children. And look at all of the grand things our Father has done. We talked a little bit about that a few minutes ago, how many wonderful things. But can I give you some of my favorite pictures of God and his awesomeness and the fact that God loves us as his children? Nothing is more immense than our universe. And yet, and yet, God permeates it all. The prophet Isaiah paints this picture for us in Isaiah chapter 40. He sits enthroned above the earth. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these things? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name because of his great power and his mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Earlier in that chapter, Isaiah says that God weighs in the hollow of his hand the waters of this world and in the balance he weighs the mountains and the hills the farthest visible galaxy with our most powerful telescopes is 13 billion light years away since light travels at 186,000 miles per second, and since there are 31,536,000 seconds in a year, light will travel 5,865,696,000,000 miles in one year, times 13 billion years, and you get, that's one big number. <laughs> I can't even begin to, to, to think of how you would pronounce that number. And that's the galaxy we can see. Here, here, are you ready for this? God's there. And the galaxies we cannot see yet, God is there. And they tell us that in our own milky way, our own galaxy, that, that's just one of thousands upon thousands upon thousands of galaxies, in our own milky way, there are 150 billion stars. I, who knows what the count of stars is? And yet Isaiah says that God knows every one of them by name. How much water can you hold in the hollow of your hand? A teaspoon? The earth has 130 million square miles of water, three miles deep. And Isaiah uses this beautiful symbolic picture that God can hold them all in the hollow of his hand. It is estimated that the earth weighs 66 sextillion tons and gets heavier by about 25 tons daily from space dust. And you wondered where that dust came under your bed. It's space dust. God can tell you to the ounce what this globe weighs at any given moment. 
God knows the number of hair on everybody's head in this room. This God who knows all the stars by name, who can hold the waters in the hollow of his hand, who knows the weight of the world to an ounce at any given moment, this is the God who says, I love you and want a relationship with you, and I want to be the center and the focus of your life. The God who is immense throughout the universe calls you his child. Wow. Don't you think that's reason for gratitude? Isn't it time that we paused to return thanks?